All right. Well, it's a new year, right? And so you've all made New Year's resolutions, right? Some people do. I've never been one for New Year's resolutions myself. But at the start of a new year, there is something about it that makes you stop and just because it's a time, a place where we mark time, right? And you mark time and you think, well, what happened over the last year? What was worthwhile? What, why did I do what I do? How, how has my relationship with Jesus been over the last year? Hopefully it'll be one of the things we think about. Uh, how could I uh, maybe do better in the, in the coming year? And uh, just in, in thinking through that, that idea, I think we all would like to see the end of 2023 uh, looking better than the beginning, right? Uh, that we would see some maturity and some growth, uh, some change in our, in our lives, in our hearts, our actions, our words. And so um, this morning, I just, I just want to talk about what's at the foundation of those kind of changes. So maybe nothing new to you. Maybe, maybe there will be some things in here. There's some things in here that for me, at, at a point in my, my spiritual walk, were really kind of an aha moment. Uh, one of those those times, I, I hope you've had some of these bigger aha moments. Hopefully every time you study scripture, there's there's some of those where you're like, oh, that's what God's like. That's what he does. But I, I don't know about you, I've had a few key ones in my walk with Jesus that just kind of, kind of change the paradigm, make, make it all uh, make sense a little differently. Uh, clears away some of the fog, some of the junk that gets in there and mixed in from our culture and from the way I've lived my life and things like that. So uh, there's some things in what I have to say this morning uh, related to that. Uh, you might notice you don't have an outline in your bulletin. Uh, for those of you who depend heavily on the outline, I'm sorry. Like I told Denise, I, I haven't decided what I'm going to say yet. There's a certain amount of truth to that. <laughs> I'm leaving some options open a little bit. Um, I've got more material than we can cover in a half hour. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Uh, planning to wrap up around noon, though, just so you, if you're if you're watching your 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 watch. But you, you go back to at the foundation of why we are here, why we are, call ourselves believers in Jesus. It comes back to the gospel, right? It comes back to uh, how is it that you are saved, and then the relationship that goes on beyond that, and. So, I'm going to take a chance here. Anybody willing to give me just a quick version of what the gospel is? What are the essential elements that you need to tell someone so that they can be saved? Okay. How'd you do? Okay. Want to add anything? Okay, that was very good. Thank you, Donna. Thank you for the others. We're just about there. You're going to do it. Uh, but it's really important to know, in a nutshell, what the gospel is, isn't it? Uh, you may have the opportunity to share that with someone who doesn't know it or is ready to, to make that commitment, to believe, to entrust themselves to Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and the gift of eternal life, right? And so I, that, that's amazing that we can do that. But then the question is, what is it that you've gotten yourself into? Or if you share the gospel with someone, what is it you're saying, come get into this? This is, this is what it is 
that you're getting into. We often focus on the fact your sin's forgiven, right? And, and on the far end of it, you get to go to heaven. But what is it that we're getting into when we believe in Jesus? Are there word pictures that might help us understand that? Or maybe, on the other hand, if you watch Christians' lives, maybe are there some word pictures that tell us what the way they are living the Christian life? For instance, what is it? What if we said that salvation was kind of like having a name tag? Would that describe becoming a Christian? But, you know, my name is, and if you go to a conference or something, it says, you, you, are, you went to this particular event, right? And if you walk outside of the conference center or the hotel where the conference is or the church, and people see you in the, you know, in the, in the grocery store and you forgot to take your name tag off, it says this is who you are. Is there an element of what salvation is in that? Maybe a little bit, right? But what, what are the implications if that's the whole picture? How, how useful is salvation if it's, if it's a name tag? Just, I put it on me. It's identification, right? That's, that's an important element, right? Um, but it doesn't carry a whole lot of weight, right? In fact, most people, once you walk out of the, of the place where you needed the name tag, what do you do? Take that baby off, right? Looks kind of silly walking around with a name tag on. Sometimes that's the way it is with faith, right? Faith in Jesus. It's like, well, I'll put on the name tag when it fits, when it's convenient, but um, I'm not going to keep it there too often. I'm not going to leave it on there too long. I'm a little concerned about who, who actually might see it, but I'll identify with Jesus in certain circumstances. And, and I think that's how some people live, saying that they are saved, that they are Christians. That's the essence of what they mean when they say that. Well, we can take it a little bit further. Uh, what about a uniform? You put on a uniform. Is that, is that kind of like being a Christian? Probably some similarities. There's certainly a, a bigger degree of, of identification, right? Uh, you see a policeman or a sheriff uh, sheriff's de deputy, you, see, you can see them from quite a ways off and say, oh, they are a part of law enforcement, right? Or whatever the reason you, you, you wear that uniform, you just look and you say, oh, okay, this person, yeah, that's, that's who they're with. That's what they do, okay? So there's, that, that's maybe a little better, right? Quickly identified. Are there some downsides to that illustration with the reality of what it means to be saved? There are, right? Is at the end of the day, what does the person wearing the uniform do? They take it off, right? It's, it's external. It's visual. It may reflect a, a deeper reality of their life, what they do with their life and how they live, um, but it's really only external, right? Okay. And so if our Christianity is only at that level, well, it's good because, you know, as Jesus said uh, in Mark 8.38, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of, of his Father with his holy angels. So to Jesus, identification with him publicly is very important, isn't it? And a uniform is kind of like that. It's a, it's a very public identification of 
here I am, and this is something true about me. I'm a follower of Jesus. Still lacks something there, right? Doesn't give the whole story of what it means when we're saved or what we're, you could say we're getting into. You know, if you ask somebody, oh, once you're saved, you're going to have to wear this uniform. Well, that, that might be kind of interesting thought, but there's more to it than that, isn't there? What if your salvation is like having a ticket at an event or a ticket on a train or a bus or a plane? Does that give us some of an idea of what salvation is like? It does buy a certain access, right? Sometimes maybe we think a little too much of salvation as a ticket, right? Or a pass, you know, if you get some sort of a, a pass badge that you wear, and there might be a building, say a government building or of some sort, and if you have this little, this little deal there, you can walk in and they just look at it. Oh, yeah, it's got your picture, it's got the right information, in you go. Is salvation like that? There's a sense in which it kind of is, right? And we love John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. You have the ticket into heaven, right? When you believe in Jesus. That's pretty exciting because it's not perishing, but it's having eternal life. Look, Jesus, I've got the ticket. I believed in you. Now you have to let me in when I die, right? Now, with a ticket, you can just kind of stick it in your pocket, right? Until you need it. Nowadays, you can put it on your phone. Right? But it's just kind of there until you need it. But does it impact the way you live your life between when you get the ticket and when you get to where you need to get in? Well, there might be some anticipation there, right? There might be some, boy, I'm so excited about this trip I'm going on or this concert I'm going to or, or whatever. Uh, but on the other hand, the ticket doesn't tell the whole story of what salvation is like. Does it? it still leaves you saying, uh, there's a lot more to this, isn't there? Now, maybe it's more like a membership. You look around and, you know, and, and here we are sitting amongst all these other people, right? Does salvation mean I become a member of this club? of this association. I have privileges. I can come and go. I can ask for help. I can interact. I can have uh, social interactions with the people who are part of that club. And one day we all go to heaven. Because I've got, the, I've got the, cl the club card, right? I've got the certification that I belong. There are certain elements of that that you could say, well, there's something about being saved, where that's true, isn't it? We gain some real great benefits. We're traveling together. We have the same goals and aspirations uh, whether we come back to the Scripture to get, right? But let's take one more step further. Maybe it, it means we're community or family. Maybe that's the picture. It sounds better, doesn't it? There's a, there's a sense of that, isn't there? It's not just that we're associated together, not just that we, we choose to have some of the same things that we like, but family, that's different. Well, family you're kind of stuck with, aren't you? The good, the bad, the ugly, the history, all those, 
you've got those together and you're headed the same direction, right? And, and the Bible even does talk about our life as family, right? Ephesians 2, verse 19, Paul says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. That means all the people who make up God's family. And some of the translations even put it that way as family, because we think of family better, uh, more so than household. Those are all possible pictures. But I think there's so much more to it in what Jesus says. Here's what is yours when you believe in me. It's more in intimate, it's more thorough, it's more complete. And it's not something we don't talk about around here. But it is a covenant relationship, a union with Christ. It's a relationship, right? An intimate relationship that causes a dramatic shift in everything. There are some relationships you have where the person is just an acquaintance, right? You start to know who they are. Uh, you've seen them. You can say hello. You know a few things about their family, their work. That's not the kind of relationship Jesus has in mind when he says, believe in me. You're entering then into a relationship in which everything is coming together in the covenant. Everything has come together in a way that changes priorities and everything else. Uh, turn with me in your Bibles now, if you would, to John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. <clears throat> John 17, 20 and 21. And here is also on that same night that we were talking about with communion, the night before Jesus was crucified. And you may recognize John 17 as being what's called his high priestly prayer. Jesus is praying for his disciples. So speaking to his father on their behalf. And verse 20 says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, talking about the the 11 who are there with him, but for those also who believe in me through their word. And so here, Jesus is praying for everyone who is a believer. So if you have entrusted yourself to Jesus, if you have believed in him, here Jesus is praying for you. What was it that Jesus wanted for every single believer as a result of him going to the cross and dying and being buried and raised again? Well, he goes on in verse 21 and says, here's, here's what he's praying, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. It's, it's a union. I mean, it's interesting he starts together that he wants us to be one, to be unified as one. But that only happens because, as he said, that they may also be in us. How? In the Father and the Son? And, of course, you're going to have to assume that the Spirit is involved here, who he's been already talking about as well in this, this section. Well, in the same way that as you, Father, are in me and I in you, Jesus is talking about us having the same kind of togetherness, of union that was had 
by himself and the Father. How close, how intimately together are the Father and the Son? Can't even begin to understand, right? They've been in perfect union with the Spirit from eternity past. Continuing on into eternity future, Jesus here prays that those who believe in him would have that same kind of intimacy with the Father and with the Son and with each other. That's a, that's, that's a game changer, isn't it? That, that's a, a paradigm shifter. That's a, take everything that came before this, clear it away, and realign anything that's worth keeping in this context. Jesus' words here are overwhelming. So that's why when he said in Luke 22 to his disciples, this is my blood of, of the new covenant. Drink it. It was not a minor thing. They were thinking in terms of covenant. That was covenant language in Jewish society that you would take and eat. Uh, when, a, when a young man was wanting to get engaged, right? he and his father would work things out with the young lady's father. And they would go and they would work out the bride price and they would go, but the kind of the key moment is he would extend to this young woman, a glass of wine, and say, drink of me. And she would take it as if, as though she is taking him into herself. They are being joined, right? So, so marriage is, is really the one covenant similar to what Jesus calls us to enter into with him that we, we still observe today and is observed, you might say universally, except that's under huge attack. You wonder why? But the marriage covenant, what happens when two people get married? Two people come together, they make vows to one another, right? And the scripture tells us the two become one flesh, right? They come together and, and their lives, everything about them is united. And so it's not mine and yours, but I bring with me all of my possessions, I bring with me all of my debt. And your spouse does the same thing, right? It's no longer this household and this house. No, you come and you merge those together. So longer, that's mine and that's yours. No, this, these are ours. Our friends, ours, can cause some trouble, huh? Enemies. Your enemies are now my enemies. Ours. Does that change the way you live? We've got some newlyweds here. Have you, have you been watching them? They, have they changed the way they live? Have their priorities, have the, have, the, have the perspectives and the things that they've been doing over the last year or so changed? I sure hope so. Are they still going to change some more? Yeah. So don't think you got it. <laughs> it's still more coming. And that, that's, that's because we're in covenant. It's the same way, though, isn't it? When we come to Jesus, we come and we bring everything that's ours. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. And we bring what to the relationship? We bring our sin. 
we bring our deserved punishment, our, our, our deserved our guilt and our deserved punishment for eternity, right? We bring that into the relationship with us. We bring our weakness. We bring our lack of ability to see and understand. We bring our history. We bring our past experiences, the good and the bad, right? Uh, we bring our relationships. We bring our friends and enemies. We bring our patterns of life, whether they be sinful or whether they be helpful. We come to Jesus, and he says, bring it all. Bring it all and join it with me. And what does Jesus bring? Well, Jesus brings everything that is in him, everything that is him, right? So he brings his holiness into a relationship and says, yeah, we share this now. Well, how could that be? I'm sinful. I'm guilty. I'm condemned. But he also brings with us, with, with him in the relationship, his death, which I deserve, right? So though I deserve punishment, he has already died. Brings those together. Now his death becomes my death. I don't have to die anymore. His burial, his resurrection. I brought death into the relationship. He brought new life that never, ever ends. Right? That's what it is that he has. He has an unending life. He says, join me in a life that never ends, a life where the curse is going to be set aside. Join me in a future where I will reign. I bring to this relationship all power all wisdom, all knowledge, the ability to be anywhere at any time, go on with all of those qualities that are true about God. I bring those into the relationship, and you will, two, two different ways. First of all, we can share in them by gaining in those areas, right? Though we aren't holy, because he brings his holiness he will work on making us holy in this life, and one day we will be holy. We will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Also, his power. We will never become all-powerful, will we? And yet his power is there for what is absolutely best for us, for his glory. We come and we join him as the all-powerful one, the all-knowing one. Oh, we bring our ignorance, right? He brings his perfect knowledge of everything and perception of all that is happening and the understanding of his complete and perfect plan. That's what he calls us to join him in. His character, his understanding. He knows what life is really about because he started it. He planned it. He designed us, right? So we get to join our maker who loved us so much in this intimate relationship where we join it all together, we mix it all and become, he says, one. That we would become one, even as the Father and the Son are one. Now, it's, it's kind of different for them, right? They both bring everything good. And yet he brings us into just as much of an intimate relationship and such complete sharing, too. And so we'll... My life, the way I live, the things I do, 
be different because this is the primary picture of what it means to believe in Jesus? It ought to, right? I mean, export this understanding of us being in in communion with him to that degree back into all those other possible pictures. Well, now they have a whole lot more meaning. If I put the name tag on, does it really mean a whole lot more? If I, because well, I've got it here because I am one with Christ. I am, Paul says it again and again, in Christ. If you're not already keeping an eye out in your Bible or wherever it says that, start now. Where it says, in Christ, with Christ, in the Lord. It's, it's repeated again and again. This is not a, a strange, unusual concept here. It's talked about a lot in the scripture. And it, it should be where our basis then for change into the future and more and more like what Christ wants us to be comes from. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 17. Some familiar verses, but if, but if they're based on the idea of our unity in Christ, it's very different. It says, for the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. The love of Christ controls us. Your, your, your version might say the love of Christ compels us. What is the driving force in your life? What is the driving force in your desire to change and become more what Christ wants you to be? We can have lots of motivations, but this gets right at the heart of the motivation that ought to, we ought to have is that Christ's love is what should be pressing us forward into something different. Not because I, I get a thrill or I get comfort or I avoid something I don't like. But here, Paul says, the love of Christ is what drives us forward. I can't stop going that direction because the love of Christ, the one who would die for me, the one who is truly God. And he continues on, where he talks about the one died for all, therefore all died. We joined him in, in death. That way, we died to what it was we used to be. So not only did we die because of punishment in Christ, but when we died in Christ, we said, oh, I mean... We've, we've had some people pass away in our body over the last while, right? We don't get to have them here with us anymore, right? Turn that around. If you have died to the life that you used to have, you're not hanging out where you used to be anymore. In a sense, you've gone to, you've gone to, to have the heavenlies, right? And so you set aside those things that were there before. Access to that doesn't matter anymore because I've got heaven, so to speak. But then, and this is, this is really exciting, verses 15, and he died for all so that they may live no, they who live might, excuse me, they, that they who might, who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, ah, here's the results. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. 
even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, ah, more of what, what, what comes out of this. If anyone is, ah, there's that word, phrase, in Christ. What happens if you are in Christ? He is a new creature or a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. And here's the exciting thing about that word new. It doesn't just mean new in time. The emphasis here is new in quality. You become a new creation, a whole new quality of creation. The old things are gone, a whole new quality of things. Yes, it does happen at a point in time, and there's a point where it's new, but it never stops being new because what you become is something totally unlike what you were in the past. He's remade you, and Ephesians tells us, in the image of Christ. We go back to being remade in the image of God in a whole different way. So when I want to change... What basis do I change? Well, it's because the love of Christ presses me to change. Because he loves me so much, I must alter the way I live, the way I think, the way I speak. Oh, yes, I can hold on to words that are not glorifying to God. I can hold on to actions that are not kind and building up to others. But the love of Christ says, why would you want that? That's what brought death to you. That's what destroyed you. And you are in me. They're united with me. Why would you throw away that in your practice when it's yours spiritually, when it's yours in, in reality? Why do you want to put on, go, go, go to the, the whole picture of putting off and putting on, right? What you're putting off is, is what was on, on you as a dead person. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You can throw those grave clothes back over you as a new resurrected person. You think that's what Lazarus did? They go wrap that stuff back around him from where he'd been rotting with all the gunk that had been collecting on that, that cloth? I don't think so. I think he got that off as quickly as he could. He put on clothes that were new, and which reflected the fact that he had come up out of the grave. In the same way, spiritually, do we keep wrapping around ourselves the things from our life without Christ? The kind of things that the world around us says, oh, you've got to wrap this around you. Or do you say, no, I've got something so much better. I'm going to put on. I can see we're out of time now. I said we have more than we, more than we could possibly cover. But I would urge you, if you're going to continue, continue on this thought, continue it in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, especially the first 17 verses. Now let's end just with the first four verses, since I said I was going to try to end at 12. Here's the perspective after Paul has explained these things in Colossians. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ. So is his resurrection yours? Are you a new creation raised to a life that never ends? If that's true, then what do you do? 
Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Set your mind, set your heart. Get it right where it needs to be. Always looking at who Jesus is. Ultimately saying, hey, he's coming back. And when he comes back, that's the complete revelation of, of the life that is now mine in him. Do I want to be moving toward that life where we're going to live it together then for eternity? Or am I going to be mucking around in this life that Jesus is going to come back to judge and to destroy? Is that where I want to be? Now balance out your choices. Balance out your patterns and your disciplines that you're going to put in place by his strength by his direction, according to his word, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, right? It says later on in the same chapter, let it live in you. And then in that, move ahead into the new things that are going to be here, not only when Jesus returns, but far off into eternity. Dear Father, you have blessed us with positional holiness and completeness in Christ. And yet we also are so forgetful. We are still prone to listen to the flesh and our old patterns. Help us to, to set our minds where they need to be. Help us to encourage each other in that as well and, and open ourselves up to be encouraged too, that we would not hold on to our old sinful patterns and not, not allow anyone else in, but that we would be willing to Say, you're right, I, I need to uh, take more care to how I speak, what I look at, where I go, how I treat others, uh, how, whether I, I lie or not. Uh, those are all things that are of the grave. Lord, help me to, to live in, in what is life. I pray that would be continuing to increase even more greatly, especially in the, these these crazy days that we live in, Lord, where evil seems to spread uh, and, and grow so fast each day. Pray that you would be growing us just as quickly uh, for your glory and, and so that we might honor you in all the things that come our way in the days ahead. Uh, we thank you for that life that we have in Jesus. And we pray in his name and that his name would be most glorified.